0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Um, here's the thing, I feel like I should come clean about this. If it's possible to have um, like a crush on a church, I have that with your church. And I love your church. and then it, But it sort of sets up this weird thing where I feel like I know you, because I've like listened to your podcast, and followed you, and I pray for you. And so then I get here, and I'm like, oh my gosh, hi. And you guys are like, who is that? <laughs> so um, I'm sorry if I randomly hug you later, but I think we're friends. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I have visited before, and I just love the way that you guys are open to what the Spirit's doing. Um, I love the way that you're not afraid to dig deeper and to push boundaries a little bit. And so today, we're going through Ephesians 6, uh, 5 through 9. And what my hope and my prayer is that we can take something that we think is very normal in our lives, maybe even routine at points, and we can kind of lean in there and see what God has to say about that. So um, if you wanna open to Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, and I wanna just give you a quick background here. The way that I approach the text is always like this. I take the verse that we're gonna do, and then I zoom out a bit and apply it. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, what does that mean in the context of Ephesians? And then I zoom out a little more. What does it mean in the context of the New Testament? And then the Old Testament? And then the entire narrative of scripture? And then finally, what does this have to do with, and what does it tell us about the character of God? And so that's how we're going to approach it today. We're going to start in Ephesians. We're going to go to the Gospel, or we're going to go to the Old Testament, the Gospels, and then back to Ephesians. So if you want to start here, it says, uh, verse five, "Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with the sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ." Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So in vain of um, looking at this, what does the context mean? A slave, um, in the cultural context of this verse, is more like what we would consider a servant. It's someone who is hired, but the deal was, is that the person would do work for the master, and then the master, in turn, would provide a sort of protection over that person. Um, They usually were employed about three years, so there was an end in sight. But uh, scholars believe that when Paul wrote this, actually, that was a practice that was kind of dwindling down. People didn't do it as often as they used to. But it's important to know this um, because I want to be clear about one thing. If we're looking at the scripture and then we're kind of pulling back and zooming out, We can never use a scripture like this to condone slavery. God cares about justice. He cares about equality. And the ground where the cross is is even, and it is wide, and everyone's accepted. So we must know that, and we must lean into that, because it says a lot about how God works in our life. See, because what Paul did is he took something that was a reality in society, and he said, look, this is a reality. How can we then live more like Jesus in light of that? How can we find freedom from this? And God does that to us. We all live with certain realities that are less than kingdom-focused, whether it be our attitudes, our habits, things that we're caught up on, things that we carry. We all have stuff that are realities, but the beauty is that God, he comes in to those realities, and he says, Let me journey with you, right? He doesn't leave us. He doesn't say, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. This is a perfect example. The way the text is is actually the way God is to us. He goes into our existence and our present circumstances, and he teaches us to follow him and leads us through his spirit to live and to look more like Jesus. So in this verse, we've got two people. We have the slaves... And we have the master. And the problem here, or the issue here, is Paul's trying to teach them how to work together in this reality. So here you are, and you're sort of set up in this hierarchy. How is it that you can work together and point each other towards Jesus? So let's go to Genesis and see what it says about work. Genesis 3.17, this is um, right during the fall. And he says, to Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And so what this verse is actually saying, for better or worse, is that all of our work, whatever we do, all the ground that we toil, wherever we spend most of our time to put food on the table or to take care of our family or to take care of ourselves, all of that is going to feel like toil. It's going to feel hard. It's not going to feel always exciting. It's not going to feel happy. It's not going to feel free. That is the reality of the fallen world that we live in. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO, if you're a barista at Starbucks, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that's the reality. There's parts of it that are super hard. And so our job then is to go, this is our reality, acknowledge it, acknowledge the parts that feel like a burden and feel like toil, and then invite God into those places to journey with us. When I say that, like, even though I'm saying it, I sort of cringe a bit. Because to me, when someone just says, well, just like invite God into that, I sort of feel like that's really nebulous, right? It feels like um, something you would like crochet on a pillow, like, Jesus, welcome here. And I don't always know what that means. Um, I have invited God a lot and felt like, well, that didn't work. Um, So I'm obviously missing something, right? And so let's find something tangible. What does it mean to invite God into our work so that it no longer just feels like this endless toil? How do we do that? The problem is is that we define work by the narrative that's been spoken to us. We define work by the American dream, okay? So if you work hard enough, if you work long enough, If you sacrifice enough so that you work, 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 you will make enough money that then one day you can stop working and you can check out. Right? What was that? Oh, amen. I was like so excited. Someone was like talking back. You guys are quiet. And that is the American dream. That's what it says. Like, that's the ideal. Like, build a life for yourself and go, 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 until you can't do it anymore, and then one day you don't have to, and you can check out. And I know for me, sometimes that sounds good. Sometimes I'm going so far, I'm like, gosh, can I just retire? My husband's like, you're at home with the kids. Like that, can't retire from that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. My bad. Um, But um, that's the narrative that we sometimes define work by. And the problem with that is that work is toil. Work is curse. We will never, ever have enough. So even if we work 85 hours a week, and even if we retire early with all this money, we will not be fulfilled. That's what Scripture tells us. And the truth is, is because that's the American dream, but God's dream for us is so much bigger. He is a global God. He is outside of time and space, and he has a plan and a hope for his kingdom. He has... Kingdom, dreams for us. Vocation is what God is interested in. Work is what you do. Work is how you put food on the table. It's what you clock in, you clock out, you get a check in the mail. Do people get checks in the mail? I think it's direct deposit. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, It's what pays the bills. Vocation, by definition, is God's mission and purpose for your life. It is so different than work. It is finding what God is doing and inviting him into that or stepping into it. So how do we live according to vocation and not according to work? How do we live according to purpose? See, our hope is that we can escape the work so that then we can do vocation. But God has something different in store. Just like how he doesn't want for us to work, 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 and then check out, we know that because when he was here on earth, that's not what he did. He went into communities, he continually went to people and places and dinners and parties, and he disrupted it to bring hope and healing. So we have to do the same. We have to figure out how we can take our work and simply make it a playground to live out vocation. So what is God's vocation? What are his kingdom dreams for us? Let's turn to Matthew 10, 7 through 15. Um, Jesus is sending out the 12, and he says, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. This is how you know what kingdom, vocation, mission, purpose is. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received and freely you give. And so what he's saying is that the purpose God's kingdom dreams for us and our life purpose as his disciples are those things. They are to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to call out demons, and to live generously. If there is anything that we are doing, that we are spending our time, energy, and talents on that do not accomplish these things or do not point towards these things, then it is work and toil and not vocation. That's what he tells us. We had this um, journey in life. Um, If some of you have followed, you'll, you'll know. We moved to Colorado a few years back, and it was really rough. Um, we just had, like, we got there with these dreams to, um, like, finally buy a house, and um, my husband was kind of going for this promotion at work, and we wanted to have a new baby, and, uh, another baby, and it was just, like, all these things. And we got there, and we were kind of hitting the ground running fast. We didn't, um, take a minute, and it was a really hard year for many reasons, um, and I wanted to go back. I wanted to come back here instead of stay in Denver. We didn't know anyone, and I didn't feel like I could handle um, the circumstances without community. So I wanted to come back, and I approached my husband because we hadn't been there a long time. And I said, I would really like it if we could consider moving back. And my husband said, you know what? I just, I just started back over at work, um, and I'm really close to getting this promotion like two to three um, years out. And I, I want to go for it. I want to do that. And so we sat on that for a bit. And I came back to him and I said, "I really, I can't do it. I can't do it." And you know, and he said, "But I, I'm working towards this thing. I'm working towards this promotion." And I said gently, "I said, I am so sorry to tell you this, but I feel like your work has become an idol." And um, it didn't. Go over super well. (laughs) And, like, I don't blame him. Um, But I will say, he was, um, husband gets quiet, whereas I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't think so. So at least he's quiet. Um, But also, it was like, oh, he's real quiet now. Um, And so he kind of sat on that, and we kind of wrestled with it. Um, In marriage, that is something that is necessary, that is needed. And um, when we believe the narrative of the American dream, what happens is we get married and we both get kind of siloed into the workforce, right? And then if you have kids, one of you is now siloed farther if the other one decides to stay at home, or you both are, and you're just sort of like running this rat race again and again and again and again, and then you come home and you're like, oh, hi, good night, And one day you wake up and you're like, what happened? Did we live life and did we live life together? And I think one of the biggest threats against our marriages is not having these conversations. Because the truth is, is there is absolutely no amount of work, there's no amount of money, there's no certain work schedule that is more important than your marriage. It's just not. We have lived with very little. We have lived from paycheck to paycheck. Because after that conversation, we took three years, and we went deep. We made a list of priorities. And we said, these these are non-negotiables. And every single decision from that point was made through that lens. It made sacrifice. Some of our dreams had to go to the wayside for a little bit. But it was worth it, because guess what? That same year, we ended up delivering my second son as a stillborn. And we wouldn't have made it through that if we weren't here. And so we just moved to Austin, and my husband had to start all over on his work again. And so I was kind of wondering how that was going over. He hadn't said anything. And so I said, hey, I'm so sorry. Do you feel like this is Colorado again? Do you feel like you're having to start over? He said, you know what? Not this time. Instead of trying to get the promotion, I have a new goal. I have a new purpose at work. And that is, I'm going to try to every single team member and customer and person that I come in contact with, my new goal is to preemptively love them no matter what. And I said, that's vocation. That's living according to kingdom dreams. Because when we listen to people, And when we talk to them and we get to know them and we preemptively love them, that's when we heal the sick. That's when we raise the dead, we cast out demons, and we're able to live generously because our focus is not on the work. Our focus is on the mission and purpose of God. So if we go back to Ephesians, okay, we have the slave and the master and we read this and we think that the slave is the one in bondage and yes he is but the irony of the whole story is that they both are the master is in just as much bondage as the slave is they are both stuck in this work cycle this rat race and they can't get out and so paul is saying hey you're here let's figure out your mission and purpose to each other so that you can find freedom You don't have to be on this wheel. And so he gives these instructions to both of them. He says you live obediently, you give respect, you serve willingly, you give grace and kindness to each other at every turn. And we see that the reason why he gives each of those people that instruction is because both of those people want to be set free from the rat race, but the only way that God sets us free is when we set others free. It's the only way. The American dream tells us it's about you, it's about me, it's about I. Individual, silo lifestyle. How can I get ahead? But God's kingdom says the only way to get out of that is to invite others in. Is to bring kingdom purposes to your place of work. But more importantly than that, The reason that God cares so much that we aren't in this rat race of work and toil is because do you know what happens when we only count on the work and achieving and getting ahead is that we start to believe something about ourselves that's not true because that will never fulfill us, that will never be enough, and we start believing that we will never be enough. Paul's message to the slave and the master is like, hey look, this may be your earthly identity right here, but we're leveling the playing field. I am here to tell you how you can help each other see God because slave and master, those are your earthly tiles, those are not the identity that I have given you. And your work, the people that you are responsible of, the way that you feel this pressure to go, go, and go, like God just wants you to know that is not your identity. Your identity is that you are sons and daughters of the living king and he cares so much about you and you are worthy of love and belonging exactly where you are no matter what you achieve or don't achieve. That's how we find freedom. The keys to finding freedom in the daily grind in the identity that it tells us is we ask God to come in by setting other people free, by looking at people around us by every email we send, every conference call we get on, every meal we put on the table, and saying, am I bringing kingdom work? Am I healing the sick? Am I helping raise the dead here? Who, who around me feels like they are dead inside? What does God want to do there? And when we do that, when we invite God in that way, we begin to be set free. So I'm not sure um, how this hits you. Um, We are all sort of wrestling with things. Um, I know for me, one of the things that I can struggle with is, so I have a day job. I um, write for this digital agency and I love my team. And I love my people. And um, I also have this thing that I do. And um, for a while, I used to think, okay, if only I could replace that day job with speaking and writing. And then I realized, I can't replace work with work. It's still going to be work. It's still going to be toil. So my job instead is to say, gosh, this isn't about me. It's not about me living out my passions. This is about me noticing exactly where I am and who I'm with and bringing kingdom things to those people. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.